we have come as far in John chapter 5, and I hope you're reading ahead. We've come to verse 30. There's a change here that's noticeable. Jesus heals the man on the Sabbath, tells him to take up his bed and walk. And the religious leaders have blown a gasket. And now they're not only persecuting him, they're looking for an opportunity to kill him. Now, he did it deliberately on the Sabbath day because he's looking to emancipate the Sabbath from so many rules and regulations that were not biblical that made it unbearable to man. And it was the opposite of what God intended for the Sabbath. So Jesus does this miracle on the Sabbath. As the religious leaders come to him from verses 19 down to 29, he says, you know, talks about the father and the son. The father does this, the son does that. The, the father responds this way, so obviously the son does the same thing. But when he gets to verse 30, he transitions from an indirect reference to the son, the rest of the chapter, to himself. I, you'll see there, I of my son. So he changes gears there. And in verses 31 to verse 40, he speaks about a witness that's being born. There's a witness In fact, he takes us through five witnesses. The Jews believed, you know, that that the witness of one person didn't count, but out of the mouths of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So he will take us through five witnesses, the witness that's born. And then from verses 41 to 47, he brings us to the witness, those witnesses rejected. So he begins here by saying, I can of mine own self do nothing. They're accusing him of healing a man on the Sabbath, telling him to take up his bed. As I hear, I judge. And my own judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. We'll notice throughout he's not born. He's been sent pre-existence. Verse 31, he says this, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Um, The Jews in the day that he's addressing uh, believed very much from Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, that there had to be, for a witness to be viable, there had to be two or three people witnessing to the same thing. In fact, the Mishnah actually says this, that the witness of one person should not be accepted. In chapter 8, Jesus talking to his disciples is going to say that his witness is valid. Here, addressing his critics, he says in verse 31, well, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not True, You know, he's, he's putting that out in front of them. That's what they say. Then he's going to say, well, let me give you these other witnesses. John the Baptist. He's going to go to the very works, the miracles. Then he goes to the Father. Then he goes to the Scripture. And then he says, you've turned away from all of that. And look, those witnesses are, are still sufficient in the culture that we live in. This has been preserved 
and given to us. So you just quote Jesus as somebody. They may not. They, they may blow you off. You know, it's it's more than that. <clears throat> he says, "There's another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses is witnessing of me is true." Interesting. There's another alos, another of the same kind. He's reaffirming his deity. There's another of the same kind that bears witness of the Son. His witness is true. You're going to see all the way down the word witness, testimony. It's all the same word. And he says this in verse 33. You, it's emphatic, you, you guys, as for yourselves, you sent unto John... And he bore witness to the truth. It says that the Pharisees and Sadducees, chapter 1, came to John and they said, Are you the one that's supposed to come or should we look for another? Are you Elijah? I am not. Then what are you? <clears throat> I'm the one of a voice crying in the wilderness, make way the, the, straight the way of the Lord, prepare his paths and so forth. He said, that's m- my calling. That's, and for you and I, it's the same thing. We're our generation, I believe, for such a time as this, our calling is to be that kind of a witness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. He's coming. He's coming. Look, you know, we're talking about, you know, doing different things, going different places. I'm thinking, I don't know where we're going to be a year from now. I don't know where we're going to be three years from now. Are you kidding? I hope I know where we're going to be. But, you know, uh, here, John the Baptist, he says, you, you sent for him. You called him. You went and questioned him. And he bore witness to the truth. But I receive not. I, it's not that I need the testimony from man, he says. But these things I'm saying that you might be saved. So it isn't, he says, I don't need man's testimony, but I'm saying this that you might be saved. In our culture today, certainly there is the testimony of Jesus about himself, but then there's the testimony of you and I. There is the testimony of man, and God uses that. In fact, he tells us in Acts chapter 1, wait in Jerusalem till you're endued with power, that you might be my witnesses, same word, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Here we are today. And he's asking us today, if we're filled with his spirit, to be his witnesses. And he says in verse 35 of John, he says, he was a burning and a shining light. You were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. John the Baptist, look, without social media, you know, without any kind of publication, John the Baptist touches the whole nation. Tens of thousands are coming to him, and all he did was lift up the voice. And Jesus says here, the reason that took place is because he was a burning and a shining light. And there's a great distinction between burning and shining. You know, shining is the giving forth of light, something that's shining. Shining is illuminating, but there's no shining without burning. And John the Baptist, you know, it's self-consuming, that burning that gives light. John the Baptist was willing to be austere. He was willing to do without what so many of the others, and not condemning them, had 
He was willing to live that life alone, seeking the Lord. He had his priorities in regards to the lordship of of Jesus in his life correct. He said, he must increase, I must decrease. He understood the difference between burning and shining. And if you and I would shine, we have to be willing to burn. There's too many today that want to shine without burning. There's too many today that want the reputation, television, radio, media, laser shows, smoke machines, rock bands. This is church. I'm a preacher with $2,000 sneakers. You know, they're willing to shine, but not to burn. There's no interest in the, in the, the self-consuming that takes place as we serve Christ, the giving up of ourselves. And people, if their notoriety grows faster than their character development, they're top-heavy, they fall. We see it too much around us. The, the wick begins to burn. These are oil lamps. The wick begins to burn from a borrowed flame, from an outside influence. And that's how it should begin in our lives as well. And it continues as the oil is supplied. You know, it, it, one, one author I read said, let us see to the burning and God will see to the shining. Let us see to the burning, God will see to the shining. That he said, the heavenly flame is kindled without, but it's fed by the Holy Spirit, by the word of God and by our service for Christ. And if we're going to be a testimony and a witness to the generation we're living in, we have to be a burning and shining light. There has to be less of us and more of him. There has to be a willingness to yield to the Spirit, John the Baptist, to understand the Word of God and to lay down our lives in service, to, to decrease that he might increase. So burning in a shiny light, Jesus says that's what he was. And, and you rejoiced in his light for a while. Uh, and he said, I'm telling you these things that you might be saved, that you might come to the truth that he spoke. Verse 36, he says, but I have greater witness than that of John. So now it's Jesus himself, John the Baptist, the third witness now. I have greater witness than that of John for the works which the Father hath given me to finish the same works that I do, they bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. So he says the ministry itself, you know, Nicodemus comes to him at night and says, look, we know you're sent from God because no man could do the miracles you're doing unless God had sent him. Now, the Old Testament talks about the Messiah and the miraculous part of his life. And for Jesus, his, his works, you know, he, when he tells his disciples in John 14, if you believe, you follow me, greater works than these will you do. So works are certainly the miraculous, certainly the signs that God did through his life, but the works that bore testimony were all also the way he lived, also what he did with his life, also his willingness to lay his life down. So he says those works 
also bear witness of me. He says that through John's gospel in chapter 10, chapter 14, um, chapter 15, 24. Uh, you'll read as you go through. So he says, oh, okay, I bore witness of myself. You're saying that that doesn't matter. If I bear witness of myself, it doesn't count. Well, you're the guys who sent to John the Baptist. That's two witnesses. You sent to him. You went out. You sent the Pharisees and scribes to go question him, to talk to him. And he bore witness of me. He was a burning and shining light. He said, there's another greater witness. That's the, the miraculous part of this, the things that are being done, the way that I'm living. Look, you in your life, you know, we have good works. There, it says they're foreordained that we should walk in them, Ephesians chapter 2. Just for you and I, our lifestyle, how many of us, our old friends are thinking, well, they ain't drugging anymore, they're not drinking anymore, they're not, you know, what's the deal, what are they doing? They flipped out, they go off the deep end. That's because our works are noticeable. And he says here, those works are a witness. They're a witness. You may not be able to remember scripture or, or share Christ the right way, but the change in your life, more is caught than taught. And people see you. And people that will never read a Bible will read you. And the good works that are in your life. He says here, the works themselves, they bear witness. Third witness. Now, verse 37, the Father himself. The Father himself, notice, which has sent me, not just I was born, which has sent me, hath borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his face, and ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he has sent him you believe not. So he says the Father himself bears witness of the Son. We know audibly in Matthew uh, Chapter 3, the, the baptism, a voice comes from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We know Matthew chapter 17 and the transfiguration. Uh, Peter, James, and John are there. Uh, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. We know in chapter 12 here in John, Christ is talking about laying down his life and there's a voice that comes from heaven. And some of them thought it was thundered, but it was God the Father speaking about his son. So he says, God... The Father also bears witness of the Son. It's not just the Son himself, but God the Father. And he says, you haven't seen him or heard him at any time. And of course, the remarkable thing is he's going to say to Philip in chapter 14, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How is it you say, show us the Father? You know. So to his disciples, he's able to say, he's able to, say to them, you have seen God. You have heard God. But to these religious leaders, you've not, you haven't seen him or heard him at any time. And there he was standing right in front of them. And how many times are religious leaders like that? And the fifth witness here, so important, is the scripture itself. He says, search the scriptures. He says, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. He says, search the scripture. 
Very interesting. It's a word used of a lion or a hound tracking its prey. The word there for search. He says you need to get the scent here. It has to do with hunting. He says search the scripture. Do that. And in them you think you have life. Many of the Pharisees had the first five books, the Torah, memorized. And Jesus will keep saying to them, well, if you only knew the scripture... And he's going to say to them here, search the scripture. The problem in them, you think you have life in them. What he's saying is there's no life in the letters, the paper, the ink, the words, the sentences. It's through those things you have life because they speak of me. Search the scripture, he says, if you think in them, in the scriptures, and they were masters of the scripture, you have life eternal. But those scriptures are the very ones who bear witness of me. Isaiah 53. Just think of people in the world, in, in Israel, who don't want to hear about Isaiah 53 today. They don't want to acknowledge what Psalm 22 has to say. They don't want to talk about Zechariah 12.10. They don't want to acknowledge what the scripture has to say. How many today are there in seminary, in the pulpit, in ministry, that think because they know Hebrew or Greek, that's admirable by the way, I wish I was better at that, but My point is, how many today are there that are not born again? That are so culturally sensitive, they've thrown away creation. They've thrown away biblical morality. They've thrown away, you know, the the things that we believe about eternity. They've thrown away origins, so they've thrown away destiny. He says this scripture doesn't produce that. You know, Paul would say, knowledge puffeth up, but love edifies. The scriptures should lead you and I to Jesus. The more we read them, and, and, and but, you know, I have sanctified envy of certain people who read, read, and read, and, you know, have the time, and I think that's great. But the scriptures lead us to him. If I'm up in the morning doing my devotions, reading, it pretty soon I'm going to put, I put the scripture down. There's tears in my eyes. He's there, his presence. The scriptures lead us to him. He says, so he says to these Pharisees, here's another witness. Search the scripture. Get on, get on the right track. You know, get on the right scent here. Search the scripture. It's in them you think you have life, but it's not in them, it's through them. But these are they that testify of me, he says here. And by the way, that witness is still sufficient for the day that you and I are living in. It is still effective when you and I share the scripture and how they speak about Jesus Christ. That is still effective today 
And in verse 40, he says, but here's the problem. You will not come to me that you might have life. He says it's a volitional problem. It doesn't say you can't come. It says you will not come. It's a decision that people make. They don't want to come to Christ. It isn't that there isn't witness. There's Jesus himself. Okay, your religious law is one man's testimony. Okay, there's John the Baptist. You're the ones who sent for him. There's the works that I'm doing. Nicodemus recognized that right away. He's one of your religious leaders. There's the father himself who testifies of me and, and bears witness. And there's the scripture. Look, there's five witnesses that would hold up in any courtroom. We have that going on around us today. Jesus certainly has given witness of himself. You and I are his witnesses. He doesn't need man. He can do it with a dream. He can do it. He can communicate himself just by blowing the heavens open. But he's, he uses you and I as his witnesses. There are the works that he's still doing and doing a lot of that through us. There is the father that bears witness to all that. And you and I now say, Abba, father, because the spirit of adoption is in us. And then there's the scriptures themselves. They speak. They're alive. They're powerful. They're sharper than any two-edged sword. They divide down between the, the soul and the spirit in an individual. They're effectual, Paul says. They don't return without accomplishing, Paul says. So the scripture itself has more life than I think that we understand. And he says, with all of that, you, the problem is you don't want it. You will not come. Let's say you can't come. There isn't anybody here today, if you're sitting here or listening, you're not saved. There's nowhere it says you can't come. It says you will not. You've made a decision. This isn't the Jesus that you want. He says this, I don't receive honor from men, but I know, I know divinely you, I know that you don't have the love of God in you. It's evident. I see there's no fruit in your life. I look, there's no, the love of God is not in you. And he says in verse 43, I am come in my father's name and you receive me not. He said, you will not believe, you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. Uh, I remember a number of years ago, one of our men's retreat, we had an ambassador from Israel there. Wonderful man, brilliant, great to hear him share, talk about what was going on in the world. And uh, it was a Q&A and afterwards, and somebody said to him, well, when the, when the Messiah returns, he said, no, no, no. You're Christians, I understand. He said, I'm a Jew. You think he's coming back. I think he's coming. And somebody said, well, how are you going to recognize him when he comes? He said, well, he'll be a political leader. He'll, he'll be somebody who, you know, accomplishes stuff politically around the world. And of course, we're going to calm down all the guys. Can't see Antichrist. You know, just, you know, you know. But, but you know, the, the, the prophecy is still effective. Jesus said, I've come in my Father's name. You have not received me. But another is going to come in his own name. And he said, there will be many Antichrists. John said there were Antichrists when he writes his first epistle. But that ultimately is manifest in a single 
individual. Isaiah says, Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men, these Pharisees, that rule this people, which is in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with hell, and we are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it will not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion... For a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, he that believeth on him shall not make haste. So the, 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 the Jew who refuses Christ and the rest of the world. Look, the culture we're living in today does not want this Messiah. There's plenty of testimony, plenty of witness. You're surrounded with friends and school and relatives and parents and people you love who don't want to hear about this Messiah. They don't want to hear about a Messiah that's come to pay the price for our sin. They don't want to hear they're sinners and they don't want to hear Jesus died on the cross for them. What they want is the social justice Messiah. They want someone who's coming, that's going to even the playing field, to take away all their college debt, give them free phones, give them free education, give them free medical, feed everybody who's hungry. They want the Antichrist. He's coming to settle all of those problems, you know, to stop war. He's going to sign a seven-year peace treaty with the nation of Israel. That's the one who will come in his own name, and the Jews will receive him. And that's the, that's the Messiah that our world wants. Don't be surprised. Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Few there be that find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go thereon. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, multitudes, nations, kindreds, and tongues marvel after the beast whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. I think what heartache Christ must feel as he says this. I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe which receive honor one of another? More, more important to you than the honor of God is your own honor and you seek not, he said that before, you will not, you seek not the honor that cometh from God only. People who want to honor one another. The Oscars always made me think of this verse. It's been more fun recently, but. <laughs> verse 45 says, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Speaking to these religious leaders, Pharisees, don't think that I'm going to accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. That, that must have, they must have blew steam out of their ears when he said that. I'm not going to accuse you. Moses, the one whom you say you believe, he's the one that's going to accuse you. He says, Moses bore witness of me through the Pentateuch. There are so many pictures of the Messiah of Christ. So many prophecies about him coming just in the first five books. So he says, don't think that I'm going to accuse you, the Father. There is one that will accuse you, even Moses, 
whom you trust. For had ye believed Moses, you would have believed me because he wrote about me. Look, in Luke's gospel, when we hear about Lazarus and the rich man, and Lazarus, you know, ends up in Abraham's bosom, the rich man is in Hades, it's in torment. And he says, Father Abraham, somebody needs to go warn my brothers. This is all real. This is all real. A day ago, I had money in the bank. I was living high on the horse, and my life came to an end. And here I am in torment the next day. Somebody needs to go, Father Abraham, and warn my brothers. Abraham said, no. They have Moses and the prophets. And if they're not willing to believe them, neither will they believe if someone rises from the dead. And what a picture at the end of the gospel when the religious leaders pay the soldiers to say somebody came and stole his body. How clearly Jesus told it out. He says, the problem's not going to be me. I'm not accusing you. It's going to be Moses. He's the one that accuses you. You're not believing of your own volition. Search your souls. Don't just search the scripture. The witness we have today, it's still sufficient For if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. By the way, that's a great truth today for every liberal theologian who doesn't believe the first five books of the Bible. Oh, those are just types. That's just allegory. I read these guys say this stuff. You know, Hebrew and Greek, you're saying this is an allegory? This is a great line for every liberal theologian because you don't believe Moses. You don't believe me. This is a great line for every evolutionist. And I know some of the Christian scientists that are trying to be theistic evolutionists. You know, they're they're trying to play both sides so they're accepted by their peers in the ivory towers. You know, one of the great things about Jason Lyell is when you talk to him, he said, you lay down your sword, you're done. Because he knows a lot of these other guys. So you lay down your sword, you surrender the Bible, you're done. Astrophysicist believes in creation the way it's given to us in the scripture. Great challenge for liberal theologians. In the pulpit today, it's the land of fruits and nuts, right? You look what's in the pulpit today claiming to be there in the name of Jesus. It doesn't even believe in Jesus. doesn't believe in the first five books of the Bible. He says, for had you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote of me, but if you believe not his writings, how are you going to believe my words? What a great challenge as we go through this. So... Uh, get your palms on the way out. <clears throat> in, the, in the meantime, look, there's some great challenges for us here. Jesus is doing what Jesus is doing. We hear from so many Muslims that Christ appears to them in a dream and talks to them. We hear he, he can bear witness of himself. These Jewish leaders said, well, that's not valid. One, one person bear it. And he says, okay, it's not just me. You sent for John. You wanted to hear from John. You, you saw that he was a burning and shining light, so you asked him who he was, and he's the one who bears witness of me. He spoke the truth to you. I'm telling this so you can be saved. You rejoice in his life for a season. You and I are to be a burning and shining light, not just shining. 
and I'm not preaching to the choir, I'm preaching to myself. I must decrease so that he can increase. My service should be self-consuming so that his glory might be more manifest. God's chosen you and I for this generation. Jesus said, of all those born of women, there hath not arisen a greater than John, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist was sending his disciples saying, are you the one that's supposed to come or should we look for somebody else? You and I aren't saying that to anybody. We know who he is. And we're his witnesses now in this generation. Turn on the news. Look what's going on in the world Jesus said, you alone, it's emphatic, you alone are the light of the world. And you don't hear light, you see it. You alone are the salt of the earth. You don't hear salt, you taste it. And here, like John the Baptist, you and I need to be a burning and a shining light. The works of the Father should be seen in our lives. The scripture should be evident in our relationship to it. Prophetically, we believe what's coming. That the scripture leads you and I to Christ. It isn't the scripture as some kind of an idol in and of itself. That's the very thing that's given us new birth that brings us to Christ. Charles Spurgeon said he was accused of being a Bible idolater. And he said, the Bible's the book that brings me to God. He said, I don't worship the Bible. I worship the God it brings me to. Jesus said, these are they that testify of me. And understand the world that we're trying to witness to. It doesn't want the Messiah of the Bible. It doesn't want a Savior who's come to pay for our sins. It doesn't want to hear that we're sinful, the world that we're in. Doesn't want to hear that it needs to repent. Doesn't want to hear that it offends a holy God. Everybody's got their own self-righteousness. Before I was saved, if I sold drugs, I gave everybody a full count. I only slept with the girl I cared about. And I only punched people who deserved it. Right? We had all of our self-righteousness before we came to Christ. But the light of his word exposes so much more. His presence and the world around us is not looking for that Jesus because it wants to justify itself. He says, that way, how are you going to get by if you honor one another? But there's one coming that's going to deceive the world. The deceiver. The son of perdition. The Antichrist. You and I, in the meantime, have the opportunity to witness to a crazy world. Even religious people. And I think, you know... It's our marching orders as we, uh, as we leave here today. Take the palms in your heart, wave them as the King of Kings is coming, as he's entering our world again. We should be waving our palm branches and laying them down. Let's stand, let's pray together. And if you don't know Christ today and you want to get saved before you leave here, you need to come up. Someone brought you there hoping that you were going to hear this. They'll say, come on, come on, I'll go down with you. But look, you're here this is, what, this is what the Lord says. This is the witness. Jesus is enough, but there are others. 
that bear witness of him, though he doesn't need the testimony of man. There are his works in the world today. Look at this. Who'd have ever thought this group would be gathered together? There are his works that bear witness. There's the Father himself, and you can't escape that. Jesus said, no man, no woman, no child can come unless my Father in heaven draws them. There's the work of the Father. And then there's the scripture, which is so clear, which is amazing because it brings us to Christ. And if you don't want any of that, you're going to worship another Christ. If you don't want to worship the right Christ, you're going to worship the wrong Christ because he's coming too. He's coming. But that all can be changed today. He loves you. He died for you. He paid the price for you so that you can be forgiven and have eternal life. And if you want that today, as we sing this last song, we'd encourage you to come forward. Stand here. We want to give you a Bible, some literature to read. Yeah, right in front of everybody. Jesus hung in front of the world naked for you. You can come stand here with your clothes on for him. Right? He bore our shame. We can come and stand up for him. So uh, let's bow our hearts. Let's pray. If he's drawing you today, nobody can come unless he draws. We're told that. Then you come. And uh, the rest of us, let's pray as we sing this last song. Father, I know you've heard. And you always hear, Lord. You listen, Lord. You say you know before a word is formed in our mouth. You already know it, Lord. There's no place we can go from your spirit, Lord. So be in our midst now. Your word says you add to the church daily such as should be saved. It has nothing to do with us, Lord. So we pray for, Lord, men, women, kids that are here, Lord, some old, some young, that have never come to you, Lord, that have never come. Would you draw them today, Lord? Would you cause them, let's just let the rest of the world and the rest of the images and the voices and the glory of this world, Lord, make it just fall away and let them know that you love them and that there's forgiveness, that there's new and eternal life. Lord, draw them. We trust you to do that. And Lord, we pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.